Hi there, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Your Liberty podcast. Today is November 30th, 2022. My name is Andrew, and if you've been following along with us, you know that we've been going over some of the historical documents from the revolutionary and founding era of the United States. And we've been going over those because I believe there's a lot of relevance for us today. Also, a lot of these documents that I've been recording, I have not been able to find recordings of because I have more time to listen than I do to read. I know that's the case for a lot of people. So I thought it'd be good to do that this year to make those available for my listeners. Eventually, I'm going to put those up on LibriVox. Still haven't had time to do that, but eventually they'll be available there in the public domain. So today we're actually stepping back in the timeline. We left off from Sam Adams in 1772 on the Rights of the Colonist pamphlet. Today we're stepping all the way back to 1765. And with the authors changing too, we are going to John Dickinson. Now John Dickinson is nicknamed the penman of the revolution, and for good reason. He's a prodigious writer, similar to Sam Adams, but he was more conservative, and he started out in Pennsylvania, and he was actually, when he wrote this, he was a Pennsylvania delegate to the Stamp Act Congress in New York, uh, which had met in October. And so this piece was written and published in November, for sure published in December of 1765. Now the Stamp Act, the King George had given his royal assent to that in March of 1765, but it actually, I guess, didn't really go into force until November of 1765, according to Wikipedia. So, actually, as he's as John Dickinson is writing this, it's as the they've known about it, they've heard about it, they've read it about it in their newspapers, probably been talked about in their churches, and then they knew, okay, it's going to take effect now. It's kind of the same way some of the stuff nowadays works, where we hear it's coming down the pipe and then it's going to be taking effect as of a certain date. So this was coming out at a good time. Now I was hoping to read the Stamp Act in its entirety here, but it's a legal document. It's pretty repetitive, pretty boring. So I'll just sum up. Most of you probably already know, but for those that don't, the Stamp Act was a direct tax, which was a new thing. It was a direct tax that was supposed to help defray the cost of the Seven Years' War known in our country as the French and Indian War. And notably, it had to be paid in British sterling, British currency. Instead of the colonial currency, it had to be paid in the British sterling, or actually, I think it was a specie coinage. Something that was, as I understand it, hard to come by in colonial America in 1765. Now, this is a tax on paper of any kind, really. The Stamp Act, which I link to down in the description, is pretty specific. It gives all these, I think it's 54 different usages of paper. It says any skin, vellum, or paper that's used for this and this, this and this, this and this, has to have a Stamp Act duty of, and then it tells you how much it is. So, I don't know how that worked. Somebody wants to fill me in, email me at mindyourliberty at gmail.com. Let me know exactly how that worked. I don't know if they got us. If you you had to buy the stamps and you put the stamp on the paper, I'm really not so sure how the tax was carried out or was supposed to be carried out. Thank goodness it actually didn't get carried out, as we know. But that's what the Stamp Act uh, was actually taxing, was paper and playing cards, notably. Something that seems 
kind of funny to me now, but I guess it was a big deal back then. And of course, the biggest problem here, as their mantra became, was taxation without representation. Because for the entire history of the colonies, as you know, as we've read from Samuel Adams, I don't need to rehash all this, but the colonies had been in charge of their own revenue. They, they allotted their own revenue. The king said, we need this money, and the colonies said, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We'll figure this out ourselves. Here you go. And this subverted that. It actually just totally bypassed, and it was going to be paid directly to Britain. But I love this piece. Uh, Michael Baldwin at the Tenth Amendment Center cites this all the time in his show, The Path to Liberty. And there's so many, so many good quotes in here. I'm just going to let it speak for itself. I'll go over a couple things afterwards. So without further ado, here's the Broadside Against the Stamp Act, published in November 1765, authored by John Dickinson, published in many of the newspapers around that time. The critical time has now come, when you are reduced to the necessity of forming a resolution upon a point of the most alarming importance that can engage the attention of men. Your conduct at this period must decide the future fortunes of yourselves and of your posterity, must decide whether Pennsylvanians from henceforward shall be freemen or slaves. So vast is the consequence, so extensive is the influence of the measure you shall at present pursue. May God grant that every one of you may consider your situation with a seriousness and sensibility becoming the solemn occasion, and that you may receive this address with the same candid and tender affection for the public good by which it is dictated. We have seen the day on which an act of Parliament imposing stamp duties on the British colonies in America was appointed to take effect, and we have seen the inhabitants of these colonies with an unexampled unanimity compelling the stamp officers throughout the provinces to resign their employments. The virtuous indignation with which they have thus acted was inspired by the generous love of liberty and guided by a perfect sense of loyalty to the best of kings and of duty to the mother country. The resignation of the officers was judged the most effectual and the most decent method of preventing the execution of a statute that strikes the axe into the root of the tree and lays the hitherto flourishing branches of American freedom with all its precious fruits low in the dust. That this is the fatal tendency of that statute appears from propositions so evident that he who runs may read and understand. To mention them is to convince. Men cannot be happy without freedom, nor free without security of property, nor secure unless a sole power to dispose of it be lodged in themselves. Therefore, no people can be free, but where taxes are imposed on them with their own consent, given personally, or by their representatives. If then the colonies are equally entitled to happiness with the inhabitants of Great Britain, and freedom is essential to happiness, they are equally entitled to freedom. If they are equally entitled to freedom, and an exclusive right of taxation is essential to freedom, they are equally entitled to such taxation. What further steps you can now take without injury to this sacred right demands your maturest deliberation. If you comply with the act, by using stamped papers, you fix, you rivet perpetual chains upon your unhappy country. You unnecessarily, voluntarily establish the detestable precedent, which those who have forged your fetters ardently wish for, to varnish the future exercise of this new claimed authority. You may judge of the use that will be made of it 
By the eagerness with which the pack of ministerial tools have hunted for precedents to palliate the horrors of this attack upon American freedom, after all their infamous labor, they could find nothing that even their unlimited audacity could dare to call precedents in this case but the statute for establishing a post office in America and the laws for regulating the force here during the late war. These instances were greedily seized upon, and the press groaned with pamphlets to prove that they would justify the taxation of America by Great Britain. But no sooner were these boasted examples produced to public view and examined than the absurdity of applying them to the present occasion appearing so glaring that they became more the subject of ridicule than of argument. Your compliance with this act will save future ministers the trouble of reasoning on this head, and your tameness will free them from any kind of moderation, when they shall hereafter meditate any other taxation upon you. They will have a precedent furnished by yourselves, and a demonstration that the spirit of Americans, after a great clamor and bluster, is a most submissive, servile spirit. Ministers will rejoice in the discovery, and as no measure can be more popular at home than to lessen the burthens of the people there, by laying the part of the weight on you, they will, of course, be tempted by that motive and emboldened by your conduct to make you, quote, hewers of wood and drawers of water. The Stamp Act, therefore, is to be regarded only as an experiment of your disposition. If you quietly bend your necks to that yoke, you prove yourselves ready to receive any bondage to which your lords and masters shall please to subject you. Some persons perhaps may fondly hope it will be as easy to obtain a repeal of the Stamp Act after it is put in execution as if the execution of it is avoided. But be not deceived. The late ministry publicly declared, quote, that it was intended to establish the power of Great Britain to tax the colonies. Can we imagine then that when so great a point is carried and we have tamely submitted that any other ministry will venture to propose or that the Parliament will consent to pass an act to renounce this advantage? No! Power is of a tenacious nature. What it seizes, it will retain. Rouse yourselves, therefore, my dear countrymen. Think, oh, think of the endless miseries you must entail upon yourselves and your country by touching the pestilential cargoes that have been sent to you. Destruction lurks within them. To receive them is death is worse than death. It is slavery. If you do not, and I trust in heaven you will not use the stamped papers, it will be necessary to consider how you are to act. Some persons are of opinion that it is proper to stop all business that requires written instruments subject to duties. Against this proposal, there are many weighty objections. In the first place, it will be nearly the same acknowledgement of the validity of the Stamp Act and of its legal obligation upon you, as if you use the papers. It will also be extremely injurious to individuals, and I apprehend the inconveniences arising from the stoppage of business will be so great that many people, whose immediate interest may have too much influence on their judgment, may be induced to believe that this obstruction will be more pernicious than the execution of the Stamp Act, and thus, I am afraid, that a mistaken zeal to avoid the execution may really produce it. How long can this stoppage be endured, or how long must it be continued, until we can obtain relief, or by a repeal of the law, perhaps some may say? If this should happen, you cannot expect to hear of the repeal in less than three or four months. But if you act in this manner, in my opinion, you will never hear of it. 
For as soon as the news of your stopping all business arrives in Great Britain, the Parliament, Ministry, and people will be convinced of two things. First, that you are intimidated to the utmost degree, and secondly, that your method of eluding the act will at length compel you to comply with it. They will therefore give themselves no further trouble about you, unless it be to send over a few regiments to quicken the execution. For these reasons, and many more, it appears to me the wisest and safest course for you to proceed in all business as usual, without taking the least notice of the Stamp Act. If you behave in this spirited manner, you may be assured that every colony on the continent will follow the example of a province so justly celebrated for its liberty. Your conduct will convince Great Britain that the Stamp Act will never be carried into execution but by force of arms. And this one moment's reflection must demonstrate that she will never attempt. As to any penalties that may be incurred, it will be vain to think of extorting them from the whole continent or from a whole province. It may be objected, perhaps, that our ships will be liable to seizure if their clearances be not upon stamped papers. But I believe no lawyer will say that this would be a legal reason for such seizures. However, we need be under no apprehension of this kind, for proceeding in that way would be, in fact, a declaration of war against the colonies, that at this time would by no means suit the mother country. Thus, my friends and countrymen, have I plainly laid before you my sentiments on your present afflicting situation, and may divine providence inspire you with wisdom to act in such a manner as will most advance that happiness I ardently wish you may enjoy. Wow, okay, you could go and pick that piece apart and pull nuggets out of it all day long, talk about it. I'm just going to make a couple points here. It's, he's a nice plain writer. Uh, he is, in all of his writings that I've read or listened to, it's very understandable. His letters from a farmer in Pennsylvania are probably his most popular. It's what he's most well known for, I think. And those were actually widely read across the colonies, and they were the as I understand it, the most widely read pieces up until the publication of Thomas Paine's Common Sense. People were reading the letters from a farmer in Pennsylvania, not to be confused with the Federal Farmer Papers, which are uh, anti-federalist papers written a couple decades later. So what's the big takeaway you get from this paper here today, the broadside against the Stamp Act? For me, it's a precedent it's the, the idea that we is still applicable today, that what you allow today is going to come back and bite you. Just getting along to get along is a stance. It's just a crappy stance a lot of the time. And I think we've seen that here recently in the last few years. We had the experiment of your disposition that this Stamp Act was, I think, We've had an experiment on our disposition of the entire world and of our country that two weeks to slow the spread. Well, we see how that turned out. His counsel was to not establish the detestable precedent, he said. He said, just continue on with business as usual, which is another, you could sum that phrase up in the word nullify, nullification, make it a nullity, as if it never happened. Just continue on doing what you're doing. Now, I listened to that, and I can tell my question earlier about how they use stamps was a little off. Obviously, there was pre-stamped papers that they must have been unlo unloading, and they just wanted to keep using their other papers. I think this involved, obviously, 
paralegal, illegal, depending on how you look at it, acts. This was because they had to use smuggled papers. They were they obviously weren't buying them from Great Britain. They were buying them from other places. And this was a stand they were willing to take because they knew it was the right thing to do. And there's so much to think about. But really, you could think of, you hear the phrase, the almost cliche now, where they throw out, you know, love your neighbor. You love thy neighbor. Well, love your neighbor down the road by not establishing a detestable precedent. I love it. John Dickinson cited the the uh, bluster and all the the gusto that was come about over the summer of 1765. Probably everybody, there's probably preachers saying, doggone, we're not going to do this, and all the talk, and everybody was talking big. But when it came down to it, now we're here in November, and this is going to be executed. This is going to be enforced. And John Dickinson is trying to put some steel in his in his uh, friends' spines and say, now look, stick to it, because after all this gum- gusto, you don't want to, how does he say it? After great clamor and bluster is a most submissive and servile spirit. So I say, and stick to your guns and just go on with business as usual. Use the papers, not the king's papers, not the stamped papers. And I love, too, how he's talked about over the summer... They all talked to their friends and the people they knew and pressured the ones that were the tax collectors who were the or the officers that were going to be collecting these taxes. They had pressured them to step down. And I think that's applicable today, too, is that it's part of the community's job to pressure these people because somebody knows these people that are going to be enforcing this. And the community... their job is to put pressure on these people that are going to be enforcing these things and say, look, you know this is wrong. So why don't you just step down? And that's where the community can come together and help find him another job, find something else for him so that he has that out to do the right thing. Because ultimately, officers, you know, whether it's police officers, military, whatever, you you. The excuse, I was just doing what I was told, only goes so far. You think about the most atrocious examples in history are carried out by people who are just following orders. And that's not an excuse that's going to stand in the Day of Judgment. And so the community has the obligation to confront people and say, look, you know what the right thing to do is. Take the easy out now while you can and before this escalates any further. All right. I just, I love this piece so much. I enjoyed reading it. I always enjoy reading all of these. I'm looking forward to next month's, looking forward to next year. I'm really, I've been praying and working on trying to think through and get an agenda for next year on the, the, what form the podcast is going to take. So if you have any ideas, if you have any feedback from this episode or any of the other episodes, shoot me an email at mindyourliberty at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast, hit the like on whatever platform you're on. Best thing you can do is just tell somebody else that you think would enjoy listening to these documents. These guys, these people we've been listening to, they're all students of history. To the extent that I probably won't be at the end of my life, these people were by the time they were 20 years old. And they had insights that we can go ahead and reap the harvest of and bring it today, and the the principles are timeless. 
So as he said here, rouse yourselves then, my countrymen. And as he opened it up, this deserves mature consideration. And I would ask you to give that same mature consideration to wherever you're at in life. Do what you can to get a little more independent, get a little more uncancelable, and always speak truth, stand up for what's right, mind your liberty.